So we're in Mark chapter 3. Um, and uh, as we continue in Mark, uh, I was thinking this week, I've got this um, actual, this is a genuine jewel. Um, it's not the Hope Diamond, it's the wishful thinking cubic zirconium, but uh, it'll, it'll serve our purposes. Um, this jewel has 65 facets. A facet, it literally means little face. Uh, and this jewel has 65 cut surfaces uh, and you can turn it and look at all the different facets that are in this jewel. And this is what Mark is. The Gospel of Mark is a jewel that has many, many facets of Jesus. So we can look at the face of Jesus at different angles and in different ways that Mark shows us. And so we'll continue to do that this morning even as we read together from Mark chapter 3. So we're going to start in verse 7 and read to the end of the chapter. Would you read along as I read? Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and, which is by the prince of the demons. He casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided... He cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, 
But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So why are we here? Seriously, why are we here? Why are we here? Now I know at this point some of you are nudging your spouse or your mother or father and saying, exactly, why are we here? Uh, I'm sleepy, I'd rather be at home, I'm hungry, I'd rather be at lunch. We could beat the Baptist if he lets us go now. But the question I'm really trying to ask is, why are we here? And not just here at Mountain Fellowship on an October Sunday morning, but why are we here at all? Why do we exist? What's our purpose for being alive? It's a question that's been asked and answered for years by many. Um, and it's a question that many of us ask when our relationships and our responsibilities um, make life confusing for us, and we um, see our paths taking us into the valley of the shadow of death, and the, the chapters in our story turn to those dark chapters. And some of you are there right now. Your relationships, your responsibilities, they're weighing heavy on your heart. And it's in those times if our hearts have not been numbed too much, that we have to ask the question, so why am I here? What's my purpose? What's the purpose for my pain, in my pain, beyond my pain? Why am I here? But why am I here is, is not only a question for dark days. It's, it's a question that all of us must ask when it's all good as well. When we're uh, being led by streams of living water, and we're in the green pastures, and all of our relationships are fulfilling, all of our work is fulfilling, and, and we're sensing pleasure, and, and we're living the dream. Even then, we have to ask ourselves, why am I here? What is my purpose? What's the purpose for my pleasure? What's the purpose in my pleasure? What's the purpose beyond this pleasure that I'm experiencing. So some of you may be there this morning. It may be that you and your relationships and your responsibilities are healthy and wealthy. And that's great if that's where you are. King Solomon would remind us, King Solomon who, whose life defined living the dream, would remind us that... Uh, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. He said, frustration is better than laughter. That's odd. 
He said, the heart of the wise was in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. And the reason he said that is because Solomon knows that pleasure could make us more prone to forget our purpose than pain could make us forget our purpose. And so Solomon believed that pain was maybe a better place to be. We'd be more likely to ask the question, what is my purpose if we're hurting? One way or the other, we have to ask ourselves, why are we here? It's a profound, simple question that has a profound and simple answer. In fact, so simple that when I try to answer it here in just a moment, you're going to be tempted to dismiss it. And I believe the answer the Bible teaches us, why are we here? We're here to make, we are here to know God and to make him known. Simply put, we're here to know God and to make him known. We are created in the image of a God who knows himself and makes himself known. Within the Trinity, the three in the one, the three in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit know one another, and yet God didn't keep himself to himself. He made people so that he could make himself known to other persons. He made a place in which he could enjoy relationship with those persons to whom he would make himself known. God is a God who knows himself and makes himself known, and he made us in his image so that we could know him and make him known. The Bible teaches that is our purpose, but the fact is, uh, because of our sin, we have cut ourselves off from that purpose of knowing God and making him known. And this is why Jesus came. This is why we need the gospel of Mark. This is why we need the good news that Jesus came to rescue us from our refusal to know God and to make him known and to restore us to that great purpose of knowing God and making him known. Well, what does this have to do with Matthew chapter 3? Well, I, I was drawn to this idea that we are made to know God and make him known because of what Mark says in chapter 3, uh, look, in verse 11, he says, Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And they were right. They knew who he was. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now, when I read that, I thought, no, wait a second. This has already happened several times in chapters 1 and 2. So far, Jesus has told other demons not to make him known. In verses uh, 24 and 25 of chapter 1, he came into the synagogue and a man with an unclean spirit cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth, us demons? Have you come to destroy us? The demon said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon knows him, but Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. So he would not allow this demon who knew who he was to make him known. I find that odd. Then down in verse 34 of chapter 1, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And, and that's what happened here 
in verse 12 of chapter 3. But then, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, there was the time when he healed the leper. And after he healed the leper, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. So I find it odd that Jesus, who came to make God known so that God could be known and we could make him known, won't let demons and healed lepers make him known. So who does he want to make him known? If it's not those folks, it's not the demons who really know who he is, and it's not those who are getting healed who know his power, who does he want to know him and make him known? Mark 3, verse 13, the very next verse. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. These men were called and commissioned to know Jesus, to be with him, to know him intimately, personally, and then to go make Jesus known by their declaration and their demonstration by the words and their works. And I want you to hear me, when we're talking about knowing Jesus here, we're not just talking about knowing about Jesus like the demons did. The demons knew about Jesus, but they didn't want him. They didn't worship him. They didn't submit to him as the king whom they loved and embraced. We're talking about knowing him relationally, not merely intellectually. It's not less than knowing Jesus intellectually. You have to know something about him, but it's more than that. It's interesting that in Acts chapter 4, when, um, when the Jewish leaders saw the courage of Peter and John in their preaching and their ministry, uh, this is how those leaders described the disciples at that time. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So, it's not that their intellectual powers were all that impressive. (laughs) They were ordinary, unschooled men. But the fact that they knew Jesus, they had been with him, gave them a power to make him known that made everybody stand up and take notice. Um, And almost 2,000 years later, you and I are sitting under their preaching. We are sitting under Mark's version of the story of Jesus. And um, we are sitting here as people who want to be with Jesus and want to be sent out by Jesus. That's us because of those men. Those men fulfilled that purpose in the midst of a culture that rejected Jesus. Listen, these men were rejected by their families. They were kicked out of their religious communities. They gave up their financial security. And eventually, they were all killed for sharing and showing Jesus to people. And still, they accomplished their mission of knowing Jesus and making him known. 
and they have passed that purpose down to us. And so a question I have for us this morning as we think about this is, what about us? In the midst of all that's going on in your life, in the midst of all that's going on in this community, in the midst of all that's going on in our nation and the world, how are we doing fulfilling our purpose to know Jesus and to make him known? Hear me say this to us. I say this to myself as well as you. That no matter who the president is now or will be, whether the economy takes off or tanks, whether we wake up tomorrow and find that the American experiment has failed or is flourishing, whether our religious liberty is lost or limited, you and I are still called and capable to accomplish our purpose of knowing Jesus and making him known. That's the truth. So this morning, what I want us to do is look and see how Mark, um, in chapter 3, is kind of summarizing something about Jesus that he wants to make known to us so that we can know him as he is. So this morning, I'm just going to finish by focusing on knowing two things about Jesus that Mark shows us. First, Jesus is the king of a new creation. And second, Jesus is the king of a new community. He's the king of a new creation. Again, Mark tells us that crowds were coming to Jesus, for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Mark wants us to know Jesus as the king over physical brokenness. Look, he got... I think he's gathering up all that he's shown us in chapters 1 and 2 and sort of putting a cap on it here in chapter 3. In Mark 1, Mark showed us that Simon Peter's mother-in-law was healed, and Jesus healed many with diseases. In Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45, he cleansed the leper. In Mark Mark chapter 2, he healed the paralytic, and he got up and walked. And then... Just before these verses in chapter 3, he healed the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. So, so far in chapters 1 through 3, Mark has been working to show us that Jesus is God, the creator. The one who in the first five days of creation made every physical thing and every physical or spiritual being that he filled the earth he formed and who will one day make all things new in a new heaven and new earth. These miracles that Jesus does of healing, I've said before, are windows that give us a glimpse into the new creation over which Jesus already presently reigns, but is not yet fully and finally complete, not quite finished, although he is renewing it. So he wants us to know that Jesus is the king over physical brokenness, but then he also wants us to know that Jesus is the king over spiritual brokenness that's found in both angels and humans. He has authority over demons, and he has authority to forgive sins. So Mark is summarizing now Jesus' rule over spiritual brokenness of angelic beings when in verses 11 and 12 uh, he's He strictly orders these demons not to make him known. But he's done this throughout chapters 1 and 2. In the wilderness, he defeated Satan's temptations. Uh, He 
healed a man with an unclean spirit and told him to be silent and come out. He cast out many other demons and silenced them and sent them away. So Mark has shown us Jesus is the king over angelic beings who are broken. But he also shows us that Jesus is the king over the spiritual brokenness of human beings. So in verse 28 today, we saw that he said, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, in other words, all kinds of sins, will be forgiven. Then he goes on to say that very strange thing, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. I'll come back to that in a moment. But he's already shown us in Mark chapter 2 when he healed the paralytic. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. He has the authority to forgive sins. He said he came to heal the spiritually sick. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus is the king over spiritual brokenness in humans as well as angels. Now, let me, I know you're wondering, what is is this whole unforgivable sin? Uh, Sadly, throughout the church that has been misused and misunderstood and people live under uh, unnecessary guilt because of it. But when Jesus says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin, he means that to attribute evil to the Savior, as these were doing, they were saying he has a demon, to attribute evil to the Savior is to reject the only one who is willing and able to forgive you. To reject Jesus is to reject your only hope for forgiveness. Anyone who truly embraces Jesus, therefore, is not capable of committing this sin. So if you're wondering, have I committed the unforgivable sin? My question for you is, are you trusting Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sin? Do you call him good because he is the Savior in whom your hope rests? If so, then you have not committed it. (laughs) The unpardonable sin is rejecting Jesus as your only hope for forgiveness. So, Mark has been working to show us that Jesus is God the Creator, who not only made angelic beings, a third of whom rebelled against him, but he also made human beings, all of whom rebelled against him. And he's showing that Jesus is the one who will one day make all things new, who through the, uh, through the excellence and exchange of his perfect life, his payment on the death of the cross, his resurrection from the dead, he will make a new creation out of every man, woman, boy, and girl who places their lives in his hands. Paul would later express it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus came to disarm the devil, to bind the strong man, as he said, to sabotage Satan so that Jesus and we together with him could enter the strong man's house and take his spoils. His spoils are the spiritually broken people 
that he has collected along the way. There is a strong man, Satan, but there is a stronger man, Jesus. And he came to declare and demonstrate that for those who are his, the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Friends, this morning, I want to stop there. Jesus is the king of a new creation. And I'll pick back up next week with Jesus is the king of a new community. But here's, here's where I've wrestled with this just this week. If Jesus is the king of a new creation, and I am a new creation in Christ, the old is going away, the new has come, and then what that means is that Jesus is still working on Jimmy to be a new creation. Tomorrow will be the 40th anniversary of my baptism. And I need a lot of work. I need a lot of work. Your pastor struggles to love people. And I wish I could tell you the details of the story to prove to you that is true. Some of you are like, well, you don't have to prove it to me, I know. But, uh, but man, do I know Jesus as the king of a new creation? Do I know Jesus as the one who is continuing to work in me a new creation? What is he doing in your life? Because later in Mark chapter 8, when, when the whole book kind of comes to a pinnacle, Jesus is going to say, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And what Jesus has been saying to me this week is, are you willing to deny yourself to love and serve? Even when you don't think the person you're loving and serving deserves to be loved and served? Let's be real. Are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to take up your cross? Jimmy, are you willing to die? Because that's what being a new creation feels like sometimes, folks. It feels like dying. So, I say that to say, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him as the king of a new creation. And he's saying to me, are you willing, are you willing to suffer in order to know me? Because it's going to hurt. Wow, I'm not coming back to this church. But let me tell you something. The Jesus that we know, in order to make you and me new creations, he suffered, and he never deserved it. And that's what this table is all about. We come to Jesus, the king of a new creation, who, as we will see at the end of Mark, was mocked 
and ridiculed. Imagine the holy, perfect God of creation being mocked and ridiculed and nailed to a cross. Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings so that I may also know the power of his resurrection. Knowing Jesus requires suffering. But knowing Jesus means I can rest in his suffering for me. Because the suffering I go through isn't suffering that saves me. It's suffering that he uses to make me more like him. Father, would you come even now and help us as your people to know Jesus and to be willing to know him in ways that um, that we resist. Would you make us like Jesus, please? And would you sustain us under the blows of your chisel as you chisel away everything that doesn't look like him in us? In Christ's name we pray, amen.